With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, my name is Olivia Neal, coach of the Flyers. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Farabee. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, players podcast, prognosticators podcast, PDLA podcast, campers podcast, Pronger cast, Canoeble cast, Prop cast, Bobby Clark cast, TK cast, Sandheim steamroller cast, the only Flyers podcast. I'm Russ Joy on Twitter and Instagram at Joy on Broad, joined as always by a man who's wearing a really nice throwback Phillies hat on this fine Friday, I, Anthony I gotta, Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter at Philly. I got to tell you about this hat. So this was a Father's Day gift. Um, this hat. This Father's Day? It just happened. Just passed. Yeah, okay. Past Father's Day. But this hat, and I'm going to describe it for um, uh, the listening audience, is uh, it, it looks basically like the throwback, throwback baby blue uh, uniforms. Um, it's got the pinstripes, too, off on. The, so, yeah. Uh, so the, the what, they, what it is, you can't tell through the zoom, but the actual material of the hat is the same as the jersey. Ooh, it's the same as the jersey. Right. And so they put the pinstripes on the sides here and then the big P that's kind of um, 3D that's that would be on the crest. And when I was down at the game, the guy who actually designed it was there in the store and it's only being sold at the store at Citizens Bank Park. You cannot get it online. You can't get it anywhere else. So it's only being sold there and it's only fitted. So you can only get a You can only get it as a fitted hat as well. So. But I well, thought it was a really, I thought it was a really cool hat, and I liked it a lot. Um, and I said, "Yeah, I, I got to get it." So, so we're gonna get a royalty for yet again another free plug here on Snow the Goalie, or no? I guess not. Of course, Snow the Goalie. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. You've already found us now, but wherever you're at, we're available on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Play, Stitcher. Wherever you get your podcasts, of course, the show itself. You can follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at Snow the Goalie. And then Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. All right, now that we got that out of the way, not a whole lot going on in Flyers land, but there are two stories that are tangentially affiliated and related to the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, Anthony, I don't know which one you want to go with first, because I know that one happened late last night and has driven you nuts. And then the other one happened a little bit earlier in the day. Um, I kind of would like to talk about the rise of the Hacken, but I don't know if you want to go with, with Gold Caulfield first, which one do you want to go with? Doesn't matter to me. Either way, we can go, we can go either way. Uh, I think that the one that's going to be more interesting to Flyers fans is probably the Hackstall thing. Um, I, I, agree. I I think it's going to have people, come, you know, wondering what the um, Kraken are going to do now at the expansion draft, since several of the players that are being discussed as potential um, uh, potentially going to Seattle played for Dave Haxtall. So how much influence will he have over that decision is kind of an interesting angle to look at. So I think maybe we should start there. All right. So 
the the news breaks yesterday. Um, I believe it was Pierre Lebrun who put it out first. Uh, it, he he tweeted about I think an hour hour and a half before the uh, signing became official that one of the names that hadn't really been out in the rumor mill all that much, but somebody who had had a, a recent interview with Seattle was Dave Hackstall. Of course, the former Flyers head coach, coached here for four years. It's interesting because Seattle, um, one of their, I guess, new writers, one of their new beat guys uh, tweeted a thing yesterday, which I found interesting because it was the sin of omission. It was Chris Daniels over on Twitter who said the Seattle Kraken's Dave Hackstall is now a former Toronto Maple Leaf assistant and spent time as coach at the University of North Dakota. That experience will likely be valuable with a bunch of young or a bunch of and likely young new players coming together in the expansion process. Notice, though, that he happens to omit uh, a certain <laughs> period of time in Dave Hackstall's tenure from, I don't know, about 2015 to 2019. He only coached the third most games in Flyers history. But of course, why would we let it? Listen, don't let that get in the way of a narrative. You're trying to get people excited. Of course, you don't want to remind them that he benched Oscar Lindblom and played, uh, you know, coke fiend. Yori Laterra on his last day. He did it on 420, by the way, which I find even more comical looking back in retrospect. Anthony, um, Yori Laterra, who just signed a new contract, by the way, in in, in uh, Russia. You know, I won't be surprised though if you see him maybe pop up as a uh, a depth forward for this Call team down the stretch. Fiend. The Coke fiend. Yeah, he's not a Pepsi guy. He likes Coke. He likes it crystallized and. You know, hey, on a positive note, if uh, Russia and Seattle aren't that far apart, so if uh, the Kraken get off to a slow start, at least Dave Haxtell knows somebody who can get the party going. Um, I have to tell you, I, I know this might be surprising. I don't actually hate this hire. I think that is like that when the you, bearing straight that separates. I believe you're right. Yeah. Yes. You know what? Let's <laughs> let's call in resident geography expert Kevin Kincaid to uh, get a little confirmation on that one. But like, I don't hate this hire. Now I know that. If you were looking to cheer for Seattle, which I don't know, a lot of people like to cheer for a West Coast team, one that doesn't directly impact the Flyers. It's always fine to have a second team. The Kraken have done an excellent job in terms of marketing. They've done an excellent job with logos. They've done an excellent job with branding. Like it, it is a really good looking franchise. But goatee Dave Hextall was not the guy that many people thought would would be the hire. Of course, Rick Tockett was brought up as a potential name. Gallant was brought up as a potential name prior to getting hired by the Rangers. I don't think this is a bad hire. I'll get into that in a second, but I wanted your first impression, your first reaction to the evil twin of Dave Hackstall. We have to call it the evil twin. He's got the goatee, right? This is like evil Abed from Community. What do you think about Dave Hackstall? You know, if, if you recall... Um, when Ron Hextall was fired and, and Dave Hextall was still the coach of the Flyers, I went on this show, on this podcast, and said that I don't think that Hextall was really given an opportunity to coach the team the way he wanted to coach the team because of how much um, control Hextall had over everything with the Flyers. And so I thought, you know, I was told at the time that they were going to give him an opportunity to see if he could, you know, turn the team around a little bit. I kind of thought he was going to have the rest of the season uh, with Chuck Fletcher. Uh, But unfortunately, what happened was is is Dave went to Chuck and said, what's going on? Like, I mean, am I going to have a job or am I not going to have a job? And I think that um, I think that ultimately what happened, that's why he got rushed out. 
um, uh, of the position. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of want to see Dave Hackstall as a coach now and, uh, you know, in a in an environment. Well, hold on. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Let's not rewrite well, I'm, I'm getting to I'm getting to my point. I, I want to see him in that environment and, and see if maybe he can be better. But if I, if you're asking me, would I rather have com- coming into the situation with a brand new team? Would I rather have Ron uh, Dave Hackstall or uh, Rick Tockett, who has had success as an assistant coach and as a head coach in this league, or somebody say like Luke Richardson, who's been unbelievable as an assistant coach with Montreal and kind of took them over and they go ahead and, and win and go to the Stanley Cup final uh, as the as like filling in for um, Dominic Ducharme, who's who's out with uh, COVID. Uh, like those guys to me seemed like better bets. So if you're asking me, what do I think of the higher compared to who else was out there? I don't necessarily think it's a great hire. Um, but if you're asking me, what do I, do I think that it could be a, a decent hire because Hackstall might have a little bit more than he had here in Philadelphia? I can get on board with that. I could, I can come on to your side of things uh, thinking, thinking about it that way. If, if that works well, for you. Sure. I mean, I was going to say, first of all, there are a few layers to this one. I I don't think that we should underestimate the influence that public opinion had in the end of Dave Hackstall here. Now, in fairness, public sentiment has been responsible in some large part to the end of numerous Flyers coaches, including Craig Berube, who went on to win a Stanley Cup. The end of the Dave Hackstall tenure was, yes, precipitated by him asking for clarification as to his status. Otherwise, he was going to be a lame duck coach. But it cannot be overstated that Two people with a platform got public sentiment going. And there was one person who was closer to the situation who potentially blew this whole thing sky high. And I believe is no longer employed by the organization or by the organization's parent company for potentially stoking the fires of the rumors of the demise of Dave Haxtell and the availability of Joel Quenville. And so when you had Dave Isaac, who was one of the most respected people on the beat for the Flyers at the time, and when you had Steph Driver of Broad Street Hockey, who is now in charge of, I guess, all of SB Nation's um, hockey coverage. I don't know if she was at the time. When those two people who have their various uh, platforms and don't necessarily have the same readership or listenership coming out saying pretty definitively that this is going to be the end, that's going to immediately carry some kind of weight with it. And I don't know if per se that's the entire reason. Uh, if it's that plus Dave asking for his own uh, job security update, I do believe that there was somebody within the Flyers organization who ran off to one or both of those for, uh, aforementioned people or ran off to somebody who happens to work for one of the sports networks who still has a line to one of those people. And we had what was a um, an industry source, a media source going to another media source, and that became gospel. But Dave Haxtell was run out of town in large part due to the GM is gone and GMs like to name their, their own coach. And while it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that a GM could look at the current head coach and evaluate him the rest of the season, once public sentiment goes the way of Hextall didn't want to fire Hextall. That became the narrative. Hextall didn't want to fire Hextall, so they fired Hextall. It stood to reason based on that line of thinking. Well, then that means that Hextall has to go because if he fired Hextall, then the next step is to fire Hextall. And 
that didn't come to fruition because of that. I think it's just important to set that stage. Now, the reason that I, or do you have something on that? Well, no, because I'm, I'm, I know you're about to tell us the reason why you think it's an okay hire. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let you do that. But I want to let you know that uh, friend of the show, good friend of the show, Chris mm-hmm. Tarian, um, he posted his resp- his reaction to it yesterday on Twitter. And he said the following. <laughs> I, I love Bundy's blunt honesty. Was this a video? Here's his tweet. No, no, no. no just a, just I was going to play the this audio is- if it was. Okay. No, no. Really surprised at the Kraken hiring of Dave Hackstall. Really good guy, but Seattle had a Rick Tockett or Luke Richardson sitting in weeds. I guarantee this franchise will be an analytics disaster. <laughs> there you go. Seattle, the city of graphics and he, he He's probably not wrong. <laughs> well, It'll it'll remain to be seen. I'm sure that we'll talk to Bundy at some point in the very near future about things like this. But um, here's why I don't think it's a terrible hire. One, I think it inherently now lowers the expectations for the Seattle Kraken. Now, that's important on a number of levels. One, what happened with the Vegas Golden Knights, who just got eliminated by the Montreal Canadiens after making yet another Final Four? What Vegas did is unprecedented in sports, especially in the modern era. The level of play that they have reached and the level of achievement that they have reached in such a short time has set an unfair expectation for what a, an expansion franchise should be. This has happened in other sports, um, most notably probably Atlanta United and MLS, who were able to come in, circumvent some rules, bring in a lot of high-priced players, and had immediate success. It doesn't happen much, though. They're an outlier. They're an anomaly. They're not meant to be the new standard. So when you see an expansion franchise like Vegas have such success, if you're Seattle, the last thing you want is for your fans immediately or casual fans who might want to follow the team to immediately expect that level of success. You might inherently as an organization want that, but you don't want to have all of the pressure that comes along with being a Stanley Cup contender from the onset. Dave Haxtell is not the big name hire. Dave Haxtell is going to be a hire that's going to be regarded as perhaps motivated in terms of uh, being an analytics disaster, maybe being a guy who can be easily manipulated by the front office to do their bidding. To me, it sets a low, a low bar. The actual reason that like in terms of on ice and around the organization, it makes sense is because we go back to those college days. We go back to that time at Notre Dame. He was a solid recruiter and he was a solid, um, coach of young players. And there is value in that. He doesn't have that AHL experience that you might want to see from some candidates. But when you're running an elite program like Notre Dame was at the time, that's valuable experience. It still had coaching experience. He got humbled here in Philadelphia, whether or not he was really given a fair shake, whether or not he was really given the opportunities to succeed in those Hextall years of not really looking to make the big money signings. That's that's up for debate. But what he did by going to Toronto and learning as an assistant coach at this level, the ins and outs of working with not only young players, but also working with vets and working with high paid, high ego players, that cannot be understated. When you go up to Toronto where the expectations are through the roof, where it's arguably the most rabid fan base in the entire league and where you have to balance the egos 
of that, Did you not that watch big three the game in Montreal last night. <laughs> uh, I, I get it, but I'm saying like, I, I, I would argue that Toronto might be even a little bit more psychotic when you have the, that kind of like big three egos, like Toronto, theoretically Toronto. Has. Montreal, Montreal's a Montreal's a soccer audience. Notice it, it, I said, I, that's, I'm going to say that yeah, in a positive no, way. Notice, notice I said rabid though. Rabid to me implies not exactly the brightest. Um, when, when you go in and you're trying to manage egos like that, when you're trying to manage a locker room where three guys are so clearly highly paid relative to their, to their counterparts, there's a lot of psychology and social emotional learning that happens as a coach. So I think you take all of those things together. This could be a solid enough hire for a team that doesn't want to have Stanley cup expectations in their first year while also hiring a guy who can develop younger talent and now has the experience in this league to balance egos. By the way, where did he coach in college? What did I say? Did I say Notre Dame? You I did. said Notre Dame, didn't I? You did. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. <laughs> the ND kind of threw you off, huh? It did. North yeah. Dakota? <laughs> yeah, North Dakota. Why did I say Notre Dame? What the hell's wrong with me? North Dakota. See, it was, it was actually like a pretty well thought out overview of the Dave Hackstall career. Yeah, yeah. North Dakota. Uh, maybe it's Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has soured me so much on North Dakota that I just don't want to acknowledge its there existence. No offense to our hundreds of listeners in North Dakota. We love you very much. Continue. <clears throat> um, yeah, no, I, I mean, you, you make a, a fine argument for it. And uh, I'm just going to sit here and tell you that, yes, the, the, Seattle's not going to be Vegas, but they're also not going to be the Ottawa Senators who were the worst expansion team in history or San Jose Sharks, whichever one, they both were terrible when they sure. first came into the league. I mean, they, they were just God awful. I mean, so they're not going to be that bad. They're also, but they're not going to be as good as Vegas. So you're probably going to get better than your typical expansion team, but not quite as good as Vegas was right. Yep. Um, that doesn't mean that they can't be competitive within a couple of years. I, I think that if it's done right, if they do their, expansion draft properly uh they got a really high draft pick um in the actual draft and you know start to develop uh young players in that regard um and they're smart within the salary cap the the beautiful thing about there being a flat cap for seattle is they don't have any salary right Mm -hmm. so even though there's a flat cap for the rest of the league they got a lot of money to play with which nobody else does so if they could, you know, be smart about how they operate under that cap, they could get themselves into a position where they could be a, a legitimate contender within a couple of seasons. It won't be that hard. Mm-hmm. So, so while I agree with you that it's more of a low-key situation for Hackstall, one where he can take some experience and, 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 you know, be better at his job than he was when he was here in Philadelphia – I also think that there is a ticking clock there that's a little bit faster than maybe you outlined. Um, that I think that you know he's going to have to show that this team could be successful probably by year three, and if it's not, then he's not the right guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and who knows? Maybe Bundy's right. Maybe they will be an analytics disaster. Um, there is a. I think Bundy says that because there's a belief that Ron Francis is a GM comes from that school um, that, uh, that, that is beholden to analytics. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as we've said, I can't tell you how many times, so many times on this program, in writing, on Crossing Broad, when we write about analytics, we talk about analytics, there is certainly a place for them. They are, they are useful tools. They can be um, brought up. They could be used as an example. They could be taught, you know, hey, this shows that this guy's not doing this well. But, 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 but. Okay, fine. That's totally, totally okay. But to sit there and go by, especially in hockey, more so than any other sport, to go completely by the, by the analytics and not by anything else is a recipe for disaster. And I think that that's what Bundy's trying to say, because you look at, I mean, there are teams that were analytics darlings that failed miserably. Um, and there are teams that are not any, they're furthest, furthest thing from uh, an, ad, an analytics darling and they're having success. So, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it can work both ways. And if you're going to be a slave to one or the other, if you're, if you're going to deny the analytics, you're stupid. If you're going to be a slave to the analytics, you're stupid. Right. I mean, so that's that there has to be a middle ground. Um, and, well, because and, and just to be clear, because this has been a thing that we've talked about on numerous episodes with guests who you can always go back and listen to in the archives. Um, I think it was we talked to Riley Cote about this up in Presser like a year and a half ago uh, about the way that you interpret data and the way that um, analytics don't obviously um, account for the human element. And so when like you look at zone entries and zone exits and with possession, without possession and the way that a guy um, reacts to shielding the puck near the boards or away situationally it might not come out in a way that's advantageous in reference to like whatever the analytic is trying to show you. So like there, there are certain aspects that are important to kind of take into consideration. If you do like a holistic view, like you can always go back and break down film when you're looking at things like that and determine if the number, you know, skewing one way or the other is appropriate or inappropriate. If you kind of rule that one out because situationally it made sense to do the opposite of, of what you might've expected. Um, it's also worth noting because we we've had this conversation now with Bobby Clark, with Paul Holmgren, with Ron Hextall on this show, there's a difference between publicly available analytics and what organizations use internally. And if you try to push somebody from a front office on that, on a show, uh, they typically tend to not give you the exact response of what it is that they use internally, but they're tracking things differently in some instances than what the public publicly available data would show. So that's, that's another thing that's important to point out when you're having the analytics versus, you know, eye test debate. And that's why it's important that you synthesize both instead of taking a, you know, a hard stance one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And what's going to be the most interesting thing to me, Ross, and I think that this is kind of why I suggested that this should be the opening topic of the, of the show is how will Seattle then take this approach and select their team in the expansion draft? There are 31 players that they're selecting. Mm -hmm. And will that impact which player they select from the Flyers? And will Hackstall, as the coach, who coached many of the guys who are going to be on that list as available, have real input. I mean, other than, you know, hey, I coached the guy, I could tell you X, Y, Z, but I mean, have like legit input on who the selection is from the Philadelphia Flyers. 
Yeah. Because this certainly puts a wrench in, in it and as far as I'm concerned. Like I, I don't think I, I don't think that this will pause would... a second. So so the yeah. the names that obviously have been surrounding the concept of trying to get Seattle to take some in the expansion draft. And you brought up last week, I believe it was about trying to play chicken potentially with Seattle about not throwing in a compensatory pick in order to make a side deal, you know, take James Van Riemsdyk or take Jake Voracek off our plate. Those two names have been mentioned as a Shane Goss bear. There really aren't many other names that have come up. People have thrown out like, well, what about Nolan Patrick? But that doesn't make sense financially. You, you don't give up whether you think he's part of the long-term future of this organization or not is irrelevant. You're only clearing 850,000 or so off the cap and you're giving them effectively what's a, you know, somewhat high value lottery ticket. So Nick, I'll based on his other name. I think that that kind of has been out there. Nick, I'll Okay. So based on Hackstall's time here, based on the kind of guy that Hackstall would look for, let's maybe make this an independent argument. If you want to go with the, the Ron Francis um, front office over here and the Dave Hackstall ideology here, which player do you think would make the most sense for Dave Hackstall to go to bat for? Nicole Bay-Kubel. And who do you think that the front office is most likely to want to pursue? James Van Riemsdyk. So ultimately, who wins out? So here's the thing. And this is why I think this is really kind of interesting. When you look at the three big names that we that we discussed that are big money guys, Gosh Despair, Voracek, and, and Van Riemsdyk, none of them particularly liked play, playing for Hackstall. I mean, maybe Voracek a little bit more than the other two. I mean, but if you recall, Gosh Despair didn't get along with the coach, even talked about it kind of publicly, right? I mean, he, he didn't like that kind of situation. Um, JVR was benched at one point by Hackstall completely. we put on the fourth line, really didn't, didn't play up to his standard uh, while Hackstall was the coach. You know, Voracek was Voracek, but um, I think Voracek's going to be the same way no matter where he goes. And he's certainly not, certainly not a guy that the analytics community falls in love with. I mean, yes, he's good with possession. He's better than fifty percent, um, which is always a positive. But he's such a he's so mistake prone. He, uh, you know, he's not the greatest defensive forward once he doesn't have the puck. So I think there's other metrics, too, that sit there and say, well, there's some red flags, plus the length remaining on his contract and how much it is. I think that that, that kind of scares you away a little bit. So I, I, I'm curious, that where, whereas the last episode I sat here and said, I would play that game of chicken with Seattle and say, and, you know, and, and just let them take JVR because I think that that's ultimately who they would want. Now I'm not so sure. And now the hiring of Dave Hackstall in this position it makes me think now you might have to bite the bullet and give them something up, give up something if you want them to take a contract because, because you're the one team Well, maybe Toronto would be the other. There's two teams that the head coach now has pretty intimate Intel on the players that are being made available. Yeah. And you're one of the two and, and that could change everything. So you might have to you might have to give in even if Seattle was going to take that player to begin with and they're just holding out to get something else from you. Um, you might have to pay that price unless you're willing to gamble. And if you gamble, you might lose. 
And I don't think the Flyers are, are in a position where they can gamble and lose. They have to, they have to do everything right this summer. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I think that the hiring of Dave Haxall very well could have made it that the Flyers now have to work out a trade with C- Seattle if they want them to take the player, a certain player off their roster. You know, I, I hate to uh, interrupt. I know that the summer, you know, I, I go back to John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John singing Summer Lovin'. But do you remember there was a certain bit of Summer Lovin' that Dave Haxtall had in his first year with Philadelphia? Do you remember the Summer Lovin'? Do you remember what happened? Not the wakeboarding story with Mike Seals. Oh, that's what I was going to mention. No. No, that's not remember? the Summer Lovin'. Dave Haxtall yeah. flew 4,000 miles to the Czech Republic to go have dinner with Jake Voracek yeah. right after Voracek signed an eight-year, $66 million contract extension. And Hackstall had called him and Voracek said something to the effect of, well, I'll be in the Czech Republic like when you want to have dinner. And he said, I know, I'm going to fly there and I'm going to have dinner with you. And then Voracek was like, well, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to stay? Are you going to tour Europe? Like, what's going on? And he said, no, I'm going to fly home. So Dave Hackstall, you know, Wakeboarder extraordinaire. I don't know. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's still something there. Maybe there's something that, you know, if if you're going to have um, if Dave Haxtall is going to go out of his way in his first year to f- <laughs> to fly 4000 miles to the Czech Republic. Well, then I don't know, like, wouldn't it maybe make sense for Jake Voracek to then have to turn around? And take a six hour or so flight across country to go join his old head coach. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, 4,000 to the Czech Republic, it's only 2,800 miles from Philadelphia to Seattle. So I know that's a nice thing. I mean, I think, I think that's the kind of, uh, you know, love redemption arc story we need (laughs) in the city of brotherly love. Yeah. Arrivederci. Yeah. So Anyway, I mean, that's so that's kind of what I mean, I think it's kind of going to be kind of interesting now from a from a Flyers perspective. We couldn't have something easy, could we? We couldn't just have one nice, easy thing in this. Nope. City. Nope. Speaking of. Yeah. Things that are simple. Um, drafting. Not really. <laughs> not if you're Philadelphia. <laughs> but things that are simple. Uh, trading down in a draft. Seeing a prospect that was highly touted trading down and then still making a selection that does not involve said player is exactly what the flyers did when they opted to take cam York over Cole Caulfield. Now I know that you are not the biggest Cole Caulfield defender or believer at this point, but after four goals in Montreal series, eliminating the Vegas golden Knights, the heavily favored might I add Vegas golden Knights. Is it possible that we will at some point down the line have to acknowledge the fact that the Flyers might have overcomplicated things and ultimately passed on the better player twice. Is it possible? Sure. Is there a reason to have the meltdown that fans are having right now because Cole Caulfield scored four goals in a playoff series? No. No. There, there have been players who've had monster playoff series that – you know, where did they come from? And then all of a sudden they're, um, you know, they're back to being just your, your simple everyday players, you know, Billy Leno comes to mind. Billy, Billy Leno is a great one. That's a great reference for us. I, I wouldn't have even, um, 
Uh, I wouldn't have even gone that route, but that's that's a that's a great one. Like Billy playoff Lando. contributor got himself a nice little deal, and that was that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, those kind of things happen. Um, and look, Caulfield's got a, a world of talent. He's got a great shot. He's fast. Um, but there are ways to there are ways to stop that kind of player. Um, there are ways that that kind of player gets frustrated. Right. I mean, I, I'm not sitting here. You're, we're not I'm not watching him play and say, oh, my God, he's got otherworldly vision. He's going to make he's going to be such a great playmaker. Like there's there's he's going to be you know, one of the elite players in the sport. Very well, maybe a very good player. Um, but I mean, he's got this. He's just got that youthful exuberance and energy. You know, he didn't have to play a full season. He played in college and then. Um, didn't really play for a while. And then all of a sudden he shows up in the playoffs and he's got legs, right? That's part of it too. Um, but to simply sit here and watch him play and score some, score some big goals. I mean, they're not cheapies. He's scoring big goals. Um, and to use this small sample size as an indictment on the flyers for drafting Cam York ahead of him, when you have no idea what Cam York is going to be yet. Cam York could turn out to be a Hall of Fame defenseman for all we know, right? Then is it a then is it a bad bad pick? So do we make this determination now when one when Cam York's played what four NHL games so far, and all of a sudden it's a disaster because oh, I knew Cole Caulfield was going to be great. Fans, you didn't know anything. I'll be honest with you, you didn't know anything. You didn't watch these guys play junior hockey. You you read some some reports by uh, by you know glorified scouts who tell you that this kid is going to be good and this kid's going to be this kid's going to be better and this is where this guy ranks and it happens every year that somebody falls way the hell down in the draft uh, and it's like oh thirty teams passed on him you know four teams passed twice and now he's a Hall of Fame player yeah it happens those things happen it's it's not a perfect art form, right? But we didn't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows what these guys. Yeah, you only have a couple of guys and it's usually guys who get picked one, two, three. Um, those guys, you kind of know. You kind of know that, okay, they're going to be able to come into this league and, and make a make an impact. Anything beyond that, it's guesswork. It's guesswork. And, you know, who knows? Cole Caulfield might end up becoming the best pick in that draft. Or he might end up just becoming, you know, a middle-of-the-road type player. Cam York could be a total bust. Or he could be an all-star defense. We don't know. They haven't played enough yet. So there's really well, no... I mean, in fairness, Cole Caulfield has more postseason goals than Cam York has NHL oh, stop uh, it. games it's played. Canadians, so. Canadians are... By it, the way, it's three. He played in three. Continue. I'm 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 so mad because, you know, everybody's going nuts with this Canadian story. It's like, oh, first Canadian team since Vancouver. First time since 93. They played in a horrible division for the entirety of the playoffs. And then they they got hot in three games against Toronto team that choked like the Sixers choked. OK, I mean, that was that was has bad Toronto. The Maple Leafs losing a three one lead over Montreal is as bad as the Sixers choking for, for you people here in Philadelphia. They beat a completely disinterested Winnipeg Jets team in the second round. I can't tell you that was the one of the worst performances by a team 
in the playoffs that I've ever seen. The Jets were just awful. And then they, you know what? Give Montreal credit. They played great against Vegas. I think Vegas took them a little lightly at first. And by the time Vegas realized that this team was going to give them a series, it was, you know, Montreal had a lot of confidence and was playing with it. And, and you know, yeah. as well as I do, Russ, that the difference between, um, you know, the difference between being good and bad in hockey is, is, is slim. It's a slim margin. So these things happen, right? And in so fairness, the difference Montreal, between being good and elite is a, a much bigger step up, which is right, why yeah. beating, which is why beating, you know, especially Vegas, like they did that late in the postseason is so impressive. Now, the it'll remain to be seen what happens in the event that Tampa is able to come back and they make the Stanley Cup final, because if you can, if you can I, topple I think, that team, then well, it, it's then not even that. I, I, the Islanders too, the way that they put the way they defend you. You think Cole Caulfield's going to get all that room to skate around against the Islanders? Come on. <laughs> yeah, but see, I, I wouldn't consider, I would say that the Islanders play at an elite level in their system. I wouldn't say that they talent wise are an elite team the same way that right. Tampa no, like that. And that's what I'm saying. So like, that's why I'm saying that idea of bad to good, pretty, pretty, pretty slim, good to great, which is raw talent. What Tampa has is next level. So yeah, I actually would like to see that. I have no interest, none, zero in watching Montreal and the Islanders play in a series because you know damn well that there's going to be some apologist fans and some apologist media and some apologist people within the Flyers organization who are going to say, well, you know, in fairness, those teams aren't all that different from when uh, when we beat the Canadiens and when wow. we took the Islanders to seven games. And I'm sorry, but this Flyers team isn't at the level of a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, and I know that this is good for your parody argument that, well, the Flyers had fewer regular season wins than the Canadians did. The other but, way around. Uh, just just get just get in. Just the get Flyers in. had 20. I thought the Flyers had 20. 25. Uh, had 25 tw- how many did Montreal? 25, had? 24. Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah. You said I thought the Flyers I said, had you said the Flyers had fewer than Montreal. Oh uh, my bad. Around. I meant yeah. it the other way. Okay. Yeah. That's what but that's but that's what I'm I, saying. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, and, and that's okay. You know, that's why when we were saying down the street, you know, everybody was like freaking out. Oh, I don't want to get this team stinks. I don't want to get in the play. Dude, you get in. You don't know what can happen. Things, crazy things happen in the NHL that don't happen in the other sports. Like the NHL, that's what makes the NHL playoffs so exciting and so great is that these teams that have no business being there suddenly start believing in themselves and, and they can make up that difference, that slight difference um, between a you know a good team and a, and a not so good team, and then all of a sudden you get hot, you know. Well, and Carey, Carey and, and also you have you happen to have a generational netminder that. Uh, but you know, but I certainly... was saying to somebody last night, and you call him generational netminder all you want, and he's a very good goalie. But what does Carey Price ever want? Really, what does he ever want? He's playing really well right now, and that's good. And I'm excited for him, and that's great. And and Flyers fans should be excited because Carter Hart models his game after Carey Price, right? So if if in fact Carter Hart is going to bounce back like Carey Price did after his bad second season in the NHL, um, and and has a you know career trajectory that's going to be akin to Carey Price, then this should be a, this should be something that fans in this city should find as hopeful right that he's playing as well as he is at, at this age um and it's great it's good that's a good that's a good little story it's a good little story but it, it drives me nuts because it was designed this way 
and it had to be because of COVID. I understand that the Canadian teams couldn't travel south of the border. I get it. And nobody could cross over into the north, you know, from the US. I get I understand. So it's not like they fixed it, right? For a Canadian team to get to the final. But they weren't upset about it. Let's put it that way. The league looked at it and said, Oh, we can get a Canadian team to the final four guaranteed. That's a good thing. It's going to help our TV ratings in Canada, right? And then you get the upset. All you need is one upset. And now all of a sudden it's, just, it's an amazing story that Canada's got a shot at their first cup since 93. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. That's fine. It's fine. Who would you say? Uh, so, so you don't like this idea of like the generational goaltender tag. Who would you hold up as like, his top, let's say, two contemporaries that you would high that you that you would hold in in ridiculously high regard. Well, I mean, Flurry's won what? Th- well, he's won t- two cups mm-hmm. and went to a third final. Went to a final with Vegas. Happened so, to have arguably one of the top three players of all time on his team, but okay. Yeah, well, okay, but fine. But he's also at what thirty six years old now, going to be a Vezina finalist this year, mm-hmm. right? Has a chance to win win it. Um, right, give me one more of this generation. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, he, I mean, Lundquist, but Lundquist didn't win anything either. Um, the Rangers weren't never good enough. Um, I mean, really, when you go back and look at it, I mean, we look at the teams that won in the last decade or so. I mean, LA had quick who was really good uh, for a while, but he fell off the table. Um, Chicago, uh, had Crawford, who was never anything special, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Um, so you know, like that's what I'm saying. Like there, when the he- reason, the reason that I ask though is because you look at what Carey Price's numbers are relative to his contemporaries, like relative to the two that you just mentioned, and his numbers stack up as well, if not better. So Carey Price, regular season across 14 NHL seasons, 2.5 goals against. Uh, 917 save percentage. You go to the postseason, both of those numbers get better. 2.34 goals against, uh, 920 save percentage. I guess Mark Andre Fleury, like Mark Andre Fleury, Tuka Rask was probably the other one that I didn't even okay, think I'll, of. I'll I'll pull those. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, those numbers are better than Fleury's uh, in the regular season. 2.55, 913, and the postseason numbers. Uh, what's that? 15 seasons that he's played uh, in the NHL. Mark Andre Fleury. He's at two five three, and uh, nine twelve save percentage. It's interesting to note, though, that in the four years that he's played for Vegas, those numbers are better than they ever were with Pittsburgh. Those four seasons versus the eleven with Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. he's at two point two five and, and nine twenty respectively. Henrik yeah, Lundqvist. Vegas plays defense. The Penguins were never yeah. a great defensive team. They were always Lund- built on the offense. Lundqvist regular season, 2.43 goals against, 918 save percentage, and then 2.3 goals against in the postseason and a 921 save percentage. I'll look up Tuka Rask because I think that one's probably going to, uh, I assume, based on postseason. Yeah. Uh, 2.27 goals against, 921 save percentage in the regular season, and then 2.22 goals against, and a 925 in the postseason. So, yeah, and the, the only other, and I'll give you one more. Name. I mean, the crazy thing there is that Carey Price has a slightly higher goals against, but a better save percentage overall. So, I'll give, I'll give you. I mean, one, he, you, he stacks I'll, up. I'll give you one more name yeah. that kind of fits into that same mold. Again, uh, great goalie, never, never really on a great team. Uh, had one run to the final. Uh, Pecorino. Okay, with Nashville. I bet. You, I guess the you, other. Th- 
okay, looked at ahead. his numbers. I'm not, I'm, I, I, again, I'm, I haven't even looked at them, but if I had to guess, I would say he was probably right there with him as well. And I think the only other thing that maybe kind of goes towards Carey Price's uh, column is the fact that he was such an impact guy at age 20 versus like Marc-Andre Fleury technically played four games in his age 19 season. He played 13 in his, uh, or sorry, he played 20, 21 in his age 19 season and then 50, 67 and so on going, going up. Uh, Pecorine is 2.43 goals against 917 save percentage in the regular season. Those numbers, however, shoot up a little bit, 2.49 goals against, and then a 914 save percentage. So a little bit worse in the postseason. Yeah. I guess, I guess the, the point here is if, if you think about who are the best goalies at any time, Lundqvist's name probably comes up. Marc-Andre Fleury's name probably comes up, but I think a lot of that is because of the Renaissance in Vegas more so than the way things ended for him in Pittsburgh. Tuka Rask would pop up because of Stanley Cup. Rene maybe comes up, but like, I think that's why people look at price the, the way that they do. Um, but regardless, you have one of the best goalies of his generation playing at a high level. And that like, you talk about getting hot, you talk about playing within your system. You talk about like, I, I don't know how you feel yeah. like they're, they are as in terms of being coached, but like well, you get that kind of goalie hot, and you play well in front of him, go, things like well, this can happen. The Flyers, here's the other, you know, here's the other thing though, Russ. Here's the other thing. And this is, this is I'm going to make a defense. I'm, I'm going to actually make a defense of, of Price here. Okay. The one thing about Price is, is he's consistent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you look over the course of his career, what was his rookie year? Was his rookie 09? year? Nine? Oh, eight? Let me see. Uh, 07, 08, 41 games, 40 starts. Okay. 24, 24, 12 and three. Okay. 2.56 goals against 920 save percentage. That's fine. So if you go through his career, so from 07 to this year, okay. Carry price. He's won the Vezina trophy once. And now that's not, that's not a knock. I'm not sitting there saying, Oh, he should, if he was such a great goal, he should have won it more because only there's only three guys who've won it twice. (laughs) In that same time period, yeah. and that's Bobrovsky, who I wouldn't put in the same category as Price, no. right? Tim Thomas, who I wouldn't put in the same category as Price, and Marty Brodeur, who's one of the greatest goalies of all time. Um, and so, so really, when you think about it, it's goalies, they're, they're like pitchers in baseball in the sense that yeah. they have those, they have a great year, right? And it's and they can it could be a standout year. They're going to win, and then they can win their Vezina Trophy with having that phenomenal season. But then maybe they don't quite reach that that you know great season again. But they they tend to be consistent. So Price is more consistent because when you look at the other guys, like I, I mentioned, Thomas, he's not not as good as Price. Ryan Miller had a great year in 2010, uh, but then fell off the map. Lundqvist was Lundqvist. I mean, he was fine. We mentioned Tuca. Right, yeah, he's a comparable. Braden Holtby, he won the he won the Vezina in twenty sixteen. Um, really, not. I never thought that he was that great of a goalie. Uh, Rene yeah. won it, and then in recent years, Vasilevsky, who's younger and he's probably the best goalie in hockey right now. Although Connor Hellebuck with the Jets, I think is is right there with him. And then who wins it this year? I mean, is it going to be Grubauer? It would be his first Vezina. It would be Flurry's first Vezina. You know, and Vasilevsky maybe his second, but I, you know, I, yeah. I think it's probably going to be Grubauer is going to probably be the winner. Um, so, like, I mean, really, when you comp- when you look at it, it's, you know, who's had who, who wins the Vezina is is a guy who had a great season and not necessarily anymore anyway, not necessarily a guy who is a 
great or generational goaltender. Okay. I think it's fair. Yeah. Look at us. All right. We somehow managed to turn in almost an hour of Flyers content. You've got something that you have to go do. Well, we got to wait work but before I... I go anywhere. What? We have not one, mm-hmm. not two, mm-hmm. not three, mm-hmm. four five-star reviews off of last in fairness, episode. In fairness, though, I think two of them are. No, I'm sorry. Only one is a repeat. But it's but it's an but it's an upgraded it, review. No, there's another one too. But okay, let's go through them, shall we? Let's let's shall. Go ahead. Gravy Train seventeen five star review. Let's make a deal episode. This was a very fun episode to listen to. I found myself in turmoil when Ant mentioned moving Carter Hart for Eichel, mainly because it's been so long since the Flyers had a goalie I felt confident in. I know Hart had had his struggles this past season, but I feel he'll bounce back. That being said, I would move Hart for Eichel because he's truly a top player in the league when healthy. Excellent work, gentlemen, and I look forward to many future excellent episodes. That was really nice. Appreciate that, Gravy Train 17. Thanks, Gravy. Longtime Quicken user. (laughs) Five stars. I'm glad they're getting their taxes done, right? Uh, Another great show. Another great show by Ant and Russ. I always enjoy the back and forth between the guys as well as Anthony's well-laid-out facts and logic to counter or agree with the points Russ makes. Interesting to hear the, uh, the guys thoughts on specific potential additions and deletions to the team in this episode. Thank you. Long time quicken. Then here's, here's the redemption arc. FX CFC. Good. When they talk about the flyers. Okay. I left a three-star review and they guilted me into changing those three stars. Still keep me up at night, but these guys deserve five stars as they have thoughtful input and intelligent commentary. If they're talking about hockey, (laughs) welcome back into the fold friend. Welcome. Welcome back in. You can now be acknowledged by the goalie. Anthony will no longer throw, uh, throw darts at your former review. We appreciate you. We're glad that you've seen the light. Yeah. And then I know that we've heard from this person before, but oh, I like okay. their, I, right. I like their review van Horn S 57, okay. who may or may not be going for the, uh, the Lee C five-star review. No, 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 no. I, uh, I, I didn't realize when I saw now that I see. Who well, it is top I like that. I like that van Horn put this out there. At first listen, Anthony's supremely confident dismissal of the entire Flyers roster as being unworthy of protection from trade seems shocking, but upon further consideration, it really shouldn't be. What I need now is an in-depth analysis of how they've arrived at this desperate place. Bad contracts, overvalued young players, poor draft selections, perhaps too much loyalty to a former GM, uh, to a former GM's former junior team. Perhaps you can fill this into your broadcast schedule would be much appreciated. I think we are going to do something like that coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, best wishes to Russ as he embarks on his new career. 40 years in the classroom inspired me to draw many clear, logical, and convincing conclusions. Unfortunately, no one ever cared about that. Have confidence going forward. Anthony, you are the best. Thank you both. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's awesome. Thanks, man. Van Horn. Very sweet. Very kind. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess since we read one repeat, we have to do another one too, right? Lee C, the Leaf C five-star review. Thank you for a very entertaining podcast. Flyers have a big issue, and that is lack of cap. The expansion draft is key to give some flexibility in giving the team cap room. Voracek and JVR have large cap hits, and Ghost's cap hit after those two players. Ideally, the Flyers need Seattle to take either Jake or JVR in the draft to open additional cap space. My fear is Seattle selects a Robert Haig, Knack, or Ghost. Any tra- in any trade, I would hold on to Hart, Farabee, or York. The team cannot get the entire organization for its prospects. I do not want to be like Detroit several years ago. With the Flyers' luck, Eichel does not recover from the neck injury, and the team is out a bunch of players. The curse of Ron Hextall continues. Continued great success with your podcast. Thank you, Lee C. 
So I believe if all things are being tallied appropriately, we're up to 179 five-star ratings. We're at 151 five-star, sorry, yes, 151 five-star reviews. When we get to 200, we're going to have a big giveaway. So make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts and leave. Jake Vorchek skates? No, we need to go more than 200 to get to the Vorchek skates. I think... I think there's a magic number to hit for that. And I'll, I'll let the people in on that at some point soon. We will do a giveaway. There will be something. Uh, anybody who's left a five-star review will be entered to win. Um, I think we need to hit 200, 200 five-star reviews. As soon as we do that, we'll do a big giveaway. I'll announce the, uh, what that is as we get a little bit closer. So if you haven't done so already, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review. If you don't know how to do that, find somebody who does. If you have somebody in your life who has an iPod or an or an iPad, or a Mac, and you're not an Apple user yourself, that's fine. By the way, I had to point this out to somebody. You don't have to have an Apple product in order to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a PC, if you're on Linux, you can, of course, download the Apple Podcasts app or program to your desktop, to your laptop, to whatever, and you can leave a five-star review in there. You just have to you know, like do the whole sign-up for an Apple account thing that doesn't cost you anything. So just a thought, if you like the podcast, that's helpful. We always love five-star reviews. We're greatly they're greatly appreciated. Uh, somebody asked if you can leave five-star reviews on other apps. <clears throat> I'm not positive. I know that at some point there was talk about Spotify adding it uh, to this point. We have not seen that. So if and when they eventually open up to our reviews, and we'll obviously take them there as well. But in the meantime, Apple Podcasts is the way to go. And we thank you. And we thank everyone so far who has left a five-star rating and a five-star review. All right, Ant. There we go. About an hour's worth of non-flyers but flyers related topics it's not bad stuff yeah no we we made it through we will be back again next week we have i think some some pretty big stuff we're working on right now so i'm i'm excited like i'm i'm here i'm fully uh fully charged fully ready for some of these things to come to fruition so i'm very excited to see where we go with some things as we move forward here uh through the summer we will be back, of course, next week. I think we'll probably work on some other things uh, programming-wise down the line that are also going to be of importance and of note to the fans. So make sure that you uh, subscribe if you haven't done so already. If you're on Spotify, make sure you hit follow to follow the series, and that'll make sure that every time there's a new podcast, it'll pop up in your feed. Otherwise, I believe every other app just calls it subscribing. Subscribe to the show. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And for Anthony at Ant San Philly on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. Make sure you follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at Snow the Goalie and Facebook.com slash Snow the Goalie. All of those links can be found in the description of this episode. Until next week, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.